This is Castle One. Race officer speaking. That's a good one, Jimmy. Welcome back, podcast listeners. It's great to have you along again for another edition. It goes without saying, if you haven't already listened to part one of our chat about AC37, it's definitely worth checking that out first. We talked to Emirates Team New Zealand's Grant Dalton about the process behind holding the cup in Barcelona. And we talked to podcast regular American Magic's Terry Hutchinson about the American Challengers preparations. Next up in this edition, we talked to friend of the podcast, president of North Sales, a fellow commentator, AC36 in Auckland, as we hear what Kenny Reid knows as the teams prepare for AC37. And we talked to Kevin Shoebridge, COO at Emirates Team New Zealand, and a man more than qualified to give us the sailing team's take on the Barcelona decision. First up, though, we talked to official challenger of record as we chat to Ineos Britannia's team principal, Sir Ben Ainsley, as we get his take on the announcement and have a quick chat about how things are shaping up within the British challenger. Before we get started, if you've enjoyed the podcast, then head over to buymeacoffee.com forward slash sailing podcast. It's easy to use and your support helps keep us ad free as we strive to keep on delivering these uninterrupted pods. So a huge thanks for the coffees. It makes a real difference. Right, let's get on with it as we dial in with a man that needs no introduction on this podcast. Ineas Britannia's Sir Ben Ainsley. For sailing fans again around the world, fans of the America's Cup, this is a, a brilliant result. It's full crossover, yeah. We're totally merged, I would say, with Mercedes Formula One. I'd like to think we've done an okay job so far, but still just over two years left to run, so we'll see how it goes. Hi, Ben. Thanks for joining us. We'll get straight to it. The bits of the jigsaw for AC37 are all coming together. We've recently learned Barcelona, of course, will be the host venue. First up, what are your thoughts on Barcelona as a venue for the next cup? Yeah, look, I think it's a fantastic venue. It's one of those iconic sailing venues, isn't it? And even cities, um, you know, you think back to the Olympics in 92 and, and many other huge events that Barcelona has hosted over the years. So yeah, couldn't really ask for a, a better venue. They're good at spectacular events, that's for sure. I mean, how big a factor is it then that you will be challenging for the cup in a European city? So essentially a couple of hours flight from home and the team's base, the expertise, the engineers, the designers, what does it mean to be challenging in Europe? Well, it's, it, as a European-based team, obviously, it, it means a lot to us. It's been a while since 2007 that the Cup was was hosted in Valencia and we saw what a successful event that was and how many people, yeah, not just from Europe, but all around the world, came to Valencia to watch the Cup. So we're, we're certainly hopeful of a similar response. And as a, as a British-based team, uh, to, of course, get as many of our fan supporters uh, down to Barcelona to to see the action, and I, 
I think for sailing fans again around the world, but particularly in Europe, fans of the America's Cup, this is a, a brilliant result. I'm sure they'll be booking their flights already. <laughs> what about from a practical uh, perspective from the team? You know, how, how, much, how much easier is it to, to be campaigning for an event in Europe? Yeah, on the one hand, it is obviously easier logistically. You said, you know, earlier a couple of hours flight from 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 the UK. Uh, you know, the costs of, of that obviously will will have a, an impact on our budgets. So that certainly is is positive. You know, I guess there there is a, a slightly alternative argument that is when you're, let's say, in New Zealand or a, you know a long way from home that you have to effectively um you you know you relocate the majority of your, of your team and when you're that isolated uh, you know you're only really focusing on one thing um being closer to home means we will most probably people will um, move backwards and forwards a little bit more and so making sure that we maintain that focus we don't get distracted as well by um all of those um friends and family and all the, the supporters that we absolutely want that um, that support there but again we don't really get you know distracted from the job at hand there's been much talk about the challengers all needing to know where the cup will be for design decisions maybe tell us I mean, what do you know of barcelona as a sailing venue and what decisions will that influence i've sailed in barcelona you know a couple of times actually you know not that I've done what much more sailing in 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 Palma than, than I have in Barcelona as a winter training base, but Barcelona I, I think will be a, a, a really big challenge for the teams because the time of year that we'll be racing you know we're sort of transitioning from the sort of summer sea breezes to potentially um, through to some some more gradient driven breezes and and sea states that come with that so. It's going to be a big challenge for all of the all of the teams from a design perspective, and also you know from a sailing perspective, a range of conditions to 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 learn and understand. But that's you know same, it's the same for everybody, of course, and that's that's a challenge that we're looking forward to. I'm sure you've been looking at it already in in much detail. You know what can what can we expect? Well, from from on the water, you know, as I mentioned you certainly would expect um, predominantly sea breezes through the summer. And then, you know, as we go through this transition, September, October time, uh, potentially seeing some more gradient driven breezes. And, and, and with that, with that change from uh, the sea breeze to um, some more gradient breezes, we might see some stronger winds and some difference in sea states as well, which as we all know, for foiling boats and sea state don't really go together that well. So, might uh, might make for an interesting design challenge and and, and sailing challenge. Um, so, I mean, that's on the water, and then on shore, I think it's going to just be an amazing venue with the the harbour, the the old harbour, um, some great options for team bases around that harbour, um, having all of the spectator boats really nearby, and the opportunity for the team bases to be um, you know, quite, quite um, accessible. I think to the public, that that that's like it was in Auckland. See, Auckland, we had the issues with COVID, and, and people weren't able to travel. Um, but you know, had that been open to to fans, that would have been an incredible atmosphere, as I'm sure Barcelona will be.
What about the team, Ben? You're currently based in Brackley along with the Mercedes F1 team. So you're currently miles from the sea. Can you tell us what the team's plans are? Well, it's early days. Of course, we only had the announcement, what, two or three weeks ago. Um, so we're, we're looking at, uh, you know, our program now. We have an October 24 Cup. What does the timeline look like? How early do we want to try and get down to Barcelona to understand the conditions? I guess most importantly for ourselves, and I'm sure the other teams, what does the what does the design, you know, development timeline look like? Um, so that's what we're considering right now. And um, yeah, I'm sure like all the other teams, we have a, a, a rough idea of what we want to do, but there'll still be some fine fine tuning. I mean, one interesting consideration to all of that, we still haven't. Um, we still need to um, to understand the, the schedule for the AC40 and the warm-up regattas that we, we had penciled in for uh, next year and uh, moving into 24. So that will also have a have an impact on the on the schedule for all of the teams. So you know we need a little bit more information yet, but certainly this is a massive step forward for all of the teams in in getting uh, a strong program together. How's that going with the F1 setup? Are you involved much with the F1 team? Is there, is there much crossover at all? It's full crossover, yeah. We're totally, um, you know, merged, I would say, with Mercedes Formula One. It's been a fascinating experience, an organisation of uh, close to a couple of thousand people an organization from from us America's Cup world of, a, of, a, of around about 100 people and 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 50 odd designers so that's been you know that's taken a lot of focus a lot of work to um, get that alignment I think we're making some great strides forwards now like I said it's been a fascinating process for all of us certainly from my own perspective huge huge learning opportunity and we're starting to sort of see the rewards from that now and and hopefully that will just continue the expectation is that that will continue to ramp up as we go through the design process and, and get to the competition itself we all love formula one now of course because of drive to survive and maybe just describe for us you know what it's like in the inside working in that kind of culture well it, it is incredible the, the level of resource the attention to detail is i've already talked about the difference in the, in the level of resource i mean it's been an interesting period here as you can imagine, with the end of last season going into this next season, this new season and the change in the and the in the in the new rules for the car, and that obviously hasn't all been uh, straightforward for for Mercedes. And you know, seeing a team a team you know eight world continuous eight world championships, um, Lewis Hamilton with his sort of domination going through a, a challenging time. Yeah, it's been impressive to see how how they've reacted to that, are reacting to that. I know a lot of people have written Mercedes off. Uh, I wouldn't be quite so quick to write them off. <laughs> All right, back to sailing, Ben. I mean, looking at this cup, the team, of course, are a challenge of record for this edition. It's a, a big role. You know, how much of a benefit of an advantage is it being challenge of a record? We saw Luna Rossa benefit quite well in Auckland. I mean, how much of an advantage do you think it's going to be? Well, it is and it isn't. I mean, of course it is in terms of having the ability to sit down with the Kiwis and decide a lot of the fundamentals around the, the development of, of the rules. Or I have to say the other uh, challenges or potential challenges were also 
consulted in that process, which I thought was really good. Uh, you know, where the, how the protocol got developed, the event eventually signing off on that. Um, and then, you know, some involvement, uh, very much on the sidelines regarding the venue, uh, I think it's, has been helpful for us. Um, you know, some people would say, you know, it's potentially a distraction having to go through those negotiations, having to in effect represent the other challenges. Um, but so far it's been a really productive process. I think I would like to think that, that team New Zealand and Grant Dalton also think it's been a, a, a positive process. Still a long way to go, but uh, I'm sure we've got a lot of mutual respect there. So I'm, I'm positive that we can keep a good, good, strong relationship. And, um, and of course, you know, so far the venue, a lot of discussion about the venue, but the venue decision is, a, is, you know, I don't think you could ask for a better venue anywhere in the world. Uh, the protocol, I think, is a really positive, progressive protocol as in the develop as are the developments to the class rules. So, um, you know, I'd like to think we've done an okay job so far, but still, you know, well, we've got just over two years left to run, so we'll see how it goes. <laughs> You're up against three other confirmed challengers in Luna Rossa, American Magic and Alinghi. There's some pretty strong competition. Maybe give us a glimpse of how things work at this stage. Are you all just heads down in design working totally separately? Are you all in contact? Are there meetings? What's that aspect of the cup like at this stage? Yeah, so far there's been communication, but not a huge amount of communication because really the huge focus was on the venue. Well, I mean, the protocol, we've had to, got the protocol squared away and then the venue and the venue was pretty much, um, if not totally, a, a Team New Zealand deal. Um, but certainly there was a lot of discussions behind the scenes. Uh, you, know, Je you know, clearly Jeddah was was touted as an option, uh, one of the options, and the, there was quite a lot of resistance, yeah, understandably, to that. Um, but now that venue decision is out of the way um, start to look at some of the more practical elements of moving forwards to the event itself. Undoubtedly, there'll be need to be more communication between all of the teams and and the defender. Um, so, yeah, I would I would expect that to uh, to to increase. Um, and yeah, the other I mean, they're all very very strong teams. Uh, you know, interestingly, whether we we see one or two more teams enter the fray. In the not too distant future, I think it would be really positive. Clearly, focused. All of the teams are focused on primarily design, but also starting to build up a sailing team. Um, and uh, as it get closer to, to putting boats on the water and starting their testing programs and development programs. And yeah, it'll be interesting to see whether whether some of those teams or some of those new teams are interested in, in current designs or design packages as an opportunity to sort of um, jumpstart and and um, get their designs, you know, uh, up to, uh, uh, you know, catching up with, with some of the teams that have been around a little bit longer. So let's see how that develops. When do you think you might be out sailing? There's a few rules, isn't there, about when you're allowed to, um, on what you're allowed to build. So when do you actually think you'll be out sailing on a, a cup-related boat? I think we potentially could see teams on the water um, as early as July, new teams, um, and pre-existing teams in September. Uh, yeah, and I, I think, 
we'll we'll be on the water sometime around then as well. And what's the what's the plan for the for the small book for the forty? I think the the eighty forty is you know a great project, and we're going to see a huge amount of use out of those boats, both from a testing perspective, youth and women's America's Cup, and the warm up events. So they 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 should get a huge amount of use. I'd be it'll be really exciting to see the performance of those and and some really competitive racing in a, in a one design element at least for the youth and women's cup and for the warm up events. Finally, Ben, two and a half years to go. We all know that's nothing in the world of the America's Cup, but you're the first British challenge of record in your lifetime, the first for over fifty years. You're in your third successive cup cycle running a team. You've got a solid backer in Ineos on their second cycle with the team. There's the Formula One tie-in and a hugely talented sailing team. There's a lot to get right, but looking at all the evidence, is it fair to argue that a British team has never been in such a strong position to really challenge, to finally have a real shot at finally bringing the cup back home? Uh, look, I, I don't know about that. I'm certainly not tempting fate here. Um, I think when you look back in the history of the cup, maybe Lipton, when was that back in the twenties or, or something like that, had had um, a few consecutive goes at the cup and and got pretty close. I think on on one occasion, definitely the key. You know, we can all see that the key to to success in the cup is is you know a continued effort. I think you know Ernesto. Bertorelli pulled a masterstroke when he um, managed to take a lot of the key talent from Team New Zealand across and you know won at the first attempt, but that was that was really a one-off. Um, um, sadly, in 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 most other cases, it, it takes a lot longer than that and a lot more sustained effort. And we've seen that with Team New Zealand, you know, from losing in in two thousand and three to winning it back again in twenty seventeen. You know, and that was from a team that had already been up and running for. 10 plus years. Luna Rosa, you know, long-term um, specialist in the America's Cup. So, yeah, certainly we see the benefits of, of the continuation. Um, the partnership with Mercedes is a really strong one for us and, and having that resource. But, you know, we've got to make the most of that resource. We've got to learn from uh, some... some um, well, I'd say hard-earned mistakes from previous campaigns, um, which were tough to, to live through, but you, you certainly learn from those. And um, yeah, I think we've got a good plan. I think we've got a good plan, a good program, a good strategy. But of course, the key is executing that and getting that right, getting it on target. And then when, when it comes to it, when it comes to the crunch, um, as a sailing team, we've got to perform on the water. Well, best of luck with it all. Thanks for your time. Ben. All right. It's been a Thanks, Shirley. Good to catch up. Bye. Sir Ben Ainsley from Ineos Britannia talking to us from their base in the UK. Always good to catch up and we can expect exciting things from the British team, I'm sure. Now, next up, we thought we'd have a word with my great friend and co-commentator at the Cup in Auckland, President of North Sales and one-time podcast guest. In fact, as Kenny reminded me, he was our first guest to necessitate the two-part podcast. He likes the chat. We caught up with Kenny from his base in Newport and kicked things off by asking his thoughts on the Barcelona venue announcement. 
Kenny Reed's podcast regular, though it has been a while, Kenny. Thanks for joining us. So AC37, Barcelona 2024. Are you excited? What are your thoughts on Barcelona? In a way, I, I think the decisions that Emirates Team New Zealand, or maybe now just Team New Zealand had to make, they were just financial, right? At the end of the day, your team doesn't happen without funds. And I think decisions were made early on that that funds could be gotten from the venue. And that was the way we were going to raise our money for this program instead of getting a whole bunch of sponsors. And you and I know that can be usually very, very difficult. So listen, it, as controversial as it may sound, at the end of the day, it kind of all made a little bit of sense. Do I feel bad for for Auckland? I mean, you and I had a blast in Auckland. Heck, I got married in Auckland. Um, the the people of New Zealand, the sailing heritage, the the passion, everything else, will that be missed? I, I think absolutely that, that will be missed. The crowds in the docks, how educated everybody is in the middle, how the taxi drivers know all about the latest crew controversies on each of the boats. And, you know, it, that's going to be missed. There's no question about it. But Barcelona being in Europe, you can also make a case this could be the best thing that happened to the cup because no matter what, that little island is a long way away. And the TV coverage, live TV coverage on the other side of the earth isn't easy. I mean, you can make you can make a pretty good case that a beautiful city and Barcelona is one of my favorite cities uh, is, is what the cup could, could use a little jolt. So I guess bottom line is I can argue both sides of the fence here as, as usual. Sure. Uh, and I, I, I guess I, I understand why it's going there and I, I'm, I have to say, I'm looking forward to it. I loved PJ Montgomery's uh, comment on it all. He said, you can't pull your socks up if you don't have any. <laughs> exactly. It's hard. I mean, raising money for these programs, it, you know, especially with my two Volvo programs, it's not easy. And when you get when you get a shot at it, like obviously Grant had a shot at, at some good funds, uh, he took it. And God bless him. That there's going to be a team New Zealand. And I guess that's, all you, that's how you have to look at it. I, I obviously sailed the Olympics way back when. Yeah, my very first Olympics, top 10 finish, no medal that time. Uh, we didn't sail as the venue, in the venue as, uh, you know, as much as Olympic teams do these days, but I did sail there quite a lot. I mean, it's tricky, especially the sea states. Like, the sea state never lines up with the wind. That's my recollection of the place. Have you sailed there much, Kenny? You know, what do you know? No, I really don't know much about the venue from a sailing standpoint. I know that September is kind of an interesting, um, odd-ish time of year. I don't know if you probably never sailed there in October, right? No, never. So it's different. Um, the teams are still learning about the weather and the sea state. And each of the teams I've spoken to, and this, is just on a, this isn't on a reporter to team level, this is friend to friend, they're really concerned about the sea state. I think the sea state could help guide guide the design path as much as anticipated wind. So, um, yeah, there's a lot there's a lot of questions for sure about Barcelona in September. Now, if this was going to be a 
a June, July, August event, I, I bet you people would have a lot more uh, information about, about the venue. But September, as we all know, you know, things are starting to change. We love it when it's interesting, don't we? The harder, the better. Harder, the better, baby. You got that right. The harder, the better, always. In very recent history, Kenny, Oracle, of course, chose Bermuda to defend a cup back in 2013, having defended successfully on home soil. But it's rare, isn't it, for a team to choose not to defend at home. Obviously, a lingi, they had no choice, really, being from Switzerland. They had to do it. What are your thoughts on the choice from, you know, from New Zealand's perspective? Yeah, a bit heartbreaking, really. Uh, and, you know, how much of their home court advantage did they throw away? And there's no question there's a home court advantage when, when you live there, breathe there, go home to your own bed at night and all those nice things that go along with it. On the other hand, in Bermuda, obviously, Emirates Team New Zealand showed that they could show up late and still kick everybody's butt, you know, being as far away as 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 they were. So, so is it really taking away a home court advantage from New Zealand? Pro probably a little bit, and they're probably a little bit concerned about it. Um, historically speaking, I think it's a shame. I, you know, when I sailed with Dennis those two times, and even with uh, Pac ninety five back in nineteen ninety five. Everybody couldn't couldn't talk about anything other than bringing it back to Newport, you know, because that was home and and that was the kind of our home of the cup here in the United States. And and I, there had to be some long sleepless nights with guys like Shub and and Daltz and many others wondering, are we really doing the right thing? So the, that emotional attachment is something that's real. Historical attachment is something that's real. But at the end of the day, let's just go back to the initial question. Without the cash, you ain't, you ain't joining. You ain't joining the party. So, you know, money rules at the end of the day. Unfortunately, like most sports, money rules. I can see it from a team perspective, you know, working in two ways. You know, in Auckland, they were at home. You're right. And it's nice to go home to your own bed. But Team New Zealand were under constant scrutiny. You know, the media... They seem relentless, always on their case. There was the interest, the base right in the middle of the viaducts. You know, there were, as you said, it was polar opposites in Bermuda. They were isolated, they were insular. You know, the shed door was firmly shut. They were focused. So there are, I guess it's a tough decision, isn't it? But there are pros and cons to being miles from home. Well, and you just struck a really good point. I wonder... When the, if the truth serum is injected into the Kiwi, you know, the, the Team New Zealand leadership, how much of that venom, because there was, it was clear, but we were there, we're reading the papers along with everybody else. If it wasn't one thing, it was another. It just, it seemed like, okay, this is going to die down and go away. Something else would get drummed up. There was always that taken from the poor and given to the rich type of atmosphere. Our, of course, COVID didn't bring the tourism in that they that hoped for, but um, how much of that venom also kind of drove them away? Will it be easier just to go away and get away from that press and, and be able to live your life as a sailboat racer again? Um, again, I think we're arguing the other both sides of the fence. It, I guess it, it did, again, it just leads to the fact that 
this must have been a really hard decision, really hard. All right, let's talk about the challenge of record. There's lots of talk of the Mercedes Formula One collaboration. Ben seems pretty excited about it. And, you know, the big deal, I think, is that they've also managed to get Martin Fisher, Luna Rossa's head of design, instrumental in the development of the AC75 concept, head of design for the boat that won them the Prada Cup and took three wins from New Zealand. How big a move is that, do we think? Especially if you combine that with the Mercedes, you know, the power of Mercedes. Well, this cup has potential of being yet another, in, in another way, a game cha changer. The, the Mercedes and the Red Bull uh, uh, entrance into the world of sailing, does that bring this whole game just to a whole new level? And I know here in the States, certainly at the New York Yacht Club, you know, who are who are behind American Magic, there's a lot of chatter about that. I, we have, you know, fortunately, our North Sales uh, engineers and designers are embedded in all of these teams. And all I've heard out of Mercedes, first of all, they're all already silent, right? They can't, they can't talk about anything. Some of these guys, they said they walked into the Mercedes facility for the first time and they just with you crack the door open and walk in and from they said from then on it's a different game it's a different level it's a different uh focus um the hard part i think for ben and his team is going to be which of these ideas and concepts do you actually run with and which of them do you just shut down immediately knowing it's going to be a huge time and money waster that's the hard part with, with these outside influences. Some, some of the ideas are so crazy and you go away and you think, we're just go we're, we're going down a path. We, we don't know anything. What's at the other end of that path at all? Are we just wasting all of our resources rather than making refinements in what we know could be upgrades, small upgrades? When, when do you swing for the fence and when do you lay down a bunt, you know, as a, an old baseball analogy? So... I think that's going to be one of the hardest parts for them is figuring out where to swing for the fence because there's going to be a lot of opportunities for them. And the, again, the level of professionalism, I'm guessing, is going to be through the roof. It's going to change. I think it changes the sport. No, I agree. And, you know, the the resources at Mercedes and I guess at Red Bull are massive. You know, if you want to if you want to make something or design something, you can they have the opportunity to turn it around you know, way quicker than before. Interesting, interesting times. Uh, also, of course, with an America's with a um, Formula One tie is Alinghi. Back in the game, the Swiss team, winners before Oracle. The thoughts being that they're taking one of New Zealand's AC75s initially. So they could be sailing from June the 17th. I think that's right. If they get a boat and, and set up somewhere, so it's, it's going to be exciting to see them back. Yeah, so not so. They have really three levels of cup experience, right? They have they have the old school experience. Um, all the all the guys that ran and managed, and even some of them sailed in those two thousand three two thousand seven uh, cups. Then they have uh, a whole level of. There's a lot of people that were with American Magic last time, including their lead design team. The the design team. Uh, who have just switched over, who, who, who took the leap. A lot of the builders, a lot of the engineers, um, several of the guys that I, I did tons of 
work with over the years have, have gone across to that side of the fence. Uh, and then they have this new Swiss kind of influx of fast talent that that they're trying to bring along using the sale GPs of the you know using these foiling events to 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 try to create a solid team that who can then go compete with the Burlings of the world. So it's really three very interesting layers uh, within Alinghi, and, and then of course add on the Red Bull side of it. How much does Red Bull really in, influence? For sure, you can see that the Mercedes influence is it, it, it's like bedrock to their program, right? That that's that that is the program. How much will will the Red Bull side be an influence in theirs? That that that's a huge question mark, and and that'll be also very fascinating to see how that all plays out. They're very quiet at the moment. They're not doing any media. I think until the end of May. So I, you know more than than most people, Kenny. Break, they're breaking your heart. You just, you just want to get in there and tear somebody up. I can see it. Make them cry. That's the thing. <laughs> How dare they? How dare they? Uh, let's talk about the Americans. You brought them up. They've had a lot of their design team nicks by the sound of things. Um, but speaking to Terry, he seems in a pretty good place. They're super happy about the Barcelona decision. They had to shelve big plans, didn't they, for the members of the New York Yacht Club to be present in Auckland. Presumably, they'll be there in force, fully supporting the team in Barcelona. What do you know about American Magic? And I wondered if there's any rumours circulating about personnel and, and perhaps a second helm. There's no question that there's going to be a second helm involved this time around. I think uh, Terry might have, you know, they they had some deep let's come to Jesus moments with that program after kind of the, and I think it's fair to say the failure of, of New Zealand and, you know, switching back and forth between, you know, New York Yacht Club was there. They weren't there. They were, and now they're back again. Um, you know, a lot of their design team jump in ship. No question that, that, I, well, I, I don't know whether they consider that as a hurt or a help. I, I don't know any of those details, nor do I really want to know those details, frankly. What I do know is that Terry was really quick to um, rebound and put together uh, a design program headed by Scott Ferguson, who ran the Oracle design program in Bermuda and obviously you know, did, the, did the big wing in 2011 for Oracle. And is clearly on the inside of understanding and knowledge and smart, smart guy, grew up with him. You know, I actually used to play hockey together, so I've known I've known Scott for a long time. Um, and the the core sailing team, I think he has several of the. I think there's a little more of probably an American influence, although uh, Paul Goodison, Goody is is certainly back again in more of a more of a star role rather than rather than kind of the, a secondary role this time around. It's fascinating. I, I think he's got a plan. I think he's gotten some outside help. They have a they have a proper CEO of the program. So Terry, I think Terry looked in the mirror at the end of the day and realized he probably had too many hats on last time around, and he's sharing the hats, no question. Uh, I, I I've talked to him quite a bit, and, and he does. I, I agree with you. He seems in a good place. He seems in a comfortable place. Um, they have some fresh young uh, design talent that I know of quite quite well so and the new york yacht club is you know they kind of took that kind of six month period of of flux 
and put it behind them pretty quick. And there's a lot of American Magic jackets walking around the New York Yacht Club right now, so which is great to see. You know, that, that's great. New York Yacht Club should be in the America's Cup, and, and they realize that. And 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 finally, this is a bit more of a outwardly spoken long-term plan this time around. This isn't just this next cup. I think Doug and Hap, uh, who are the primary backers, Doug DeVos and Hap Fouth, have said, you know, let's let's not just jump into this with two feet and hope like hell we can we can swim. Let, let's let's think about this a little more methodically. At least that that's what appears to me from the outside. And and they're looking at a you know a two cup program, and and I yeah they have a plan. You can tell it's it's definitely a little it feels a little more thought out. And I think to again to go back to your first point, I think Terry's in, in a pretty good spot. Yeah, that all sounds more positive. When you think about Emirates Team New Zealand, they've had the core particular design team for, I mean, over a decade. There's not many new faces there. Which is amazing. I, I, you know, I was just looking through some stuff this morning, anticipating our talk. And, you know, since 1995, when Peter Blake started Team New Zealand, they've been in the finals or won every single time except for 2011. And then you look at the last few cups, once they became foiling cups, it is, it's the same people. Now, are they smart enough to bring in some new blood from time to time to make sure they're not getting stale? Absolutely. But these people that they've kept, not just that them, but their sailing team. They, you look at their primary sailing team right now, it's all there. And then they, then it appears they added our old buddy, Nathan um, Outeridge to, to kind of bolster it a little bit. So it's phenomenal how they keep their teams together. They, they have some secret sauce. Uh, they really do. In an age of free agency, they have figured out how to keep their, their free agents. And good for them. Uh, I, I, it's really is a strength, obviously, and it's a key to uh, winning this thing. All right. The final team. We haven't heard much from them either. Prada, they declared interest back in December and have been I mean, really quiet since. They posted something on social media about Barcelona, but you know, there's just not been much from them. I think they're delighted, they must be delighted that the cup is in Europe. Um, but they'll be desperate, won't they, to better their Auckland Cup loss? Well, I mean, yeah, the rumours swirl about the Prada team all the time, that, that they're in fact keeping their core group as well. I haven't talked to Jimmy in quite a while. Um, but that they're they're trying or have figured out how to keep their core group. I think I get the impression that people have signed contracts with them, that whether it's design side or even sailing side. Um, you know, a lot of times this has to do with ownership and making sure we've got all the right funds. And I, I actually appreciate it when people don't go out and jump up and down and say, hey, we're doing the America's Cup, and then sit back in a room and go, holy crap, how are we going to do this? You know, I, I think, I think they've, I think that team has been doing it long enough that they get their ducks in a row before they tell the world about it. You know, they hint, you know, thanks to social media, there's hints all over the place, right? You, 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 you're probably far more familiar with that than I am, but, but I just, I, I think they get their ducks in a row. I really do. Before they go shout, you know, shout from the rooftops. I, I think they actually are pretty good at getting sorted. And, um, and I, I give them credit for that. 
All right, let's talk about the boat. I mean, what do, yeah, what well, else do you know? You're forgetting one team. Am I? What do you know about <clears throat> this rumored French team? Well, there is there's rumors about a French team and a Spanish team, but uh, that's kind of all I've got. Have you heard more? Well, I, I think the French team is a little more than rumors. I, I think um, I, I think that's real, and there's no question that the Barcelona decision has already uh, kind of stirred the pot a little bit in, in, in getting some more blood into this. It's always the the naysayers of the America's Cup. It's always the big complaint. Oh, there's no teams. There's only three teams. There's only this. Well, all of a sudden, I, I think we're going to see a couple more teams come out of the woodwork. So so I, I wouldn't be surprised if soon we see a French a French team announced in a, in a well-funded, well-backed, proper French team. You know, that this isn't just throwing your hat in for the sake of throwing your hat in. And, and maybe another. I mean, it's still far enough away that somebody could jump in. Keep in mind that the Kiwis still always offer their that you can buy kind of a design service from them and jump in. So and good for them, by the way, for 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 and Oracle did the same thing in Bermuda. Uh, good for them to understand that the technical the, the technical cost of entry both in time, in smarts, in money, is daunting to a new team. So they, they really have, from what I've been told, a really high-level design package that you can buy from them. And, and if I, I tell you what, if I were a new team, that would be the first decision I'd make is, are you kidding me? Yes, we're jumping in. I know the Stars and Stripes guys, Mike Buckley talked about, it. if they could pull it off, they were going to jump right in on that. So so anyway, I, I give the Kiwis credit for giving out some of their secrets in order to try to keep building the, the experience for these cups. And, and for sure, uh, I think a couple of these teams will take them up on it. All right. What else do we know, Kenny? The Cyclers are back. The AC-75, is that sticking with the, the double-skinned mainsail or have North come up with... with <laughs> you make that sound devious. Like we... Like that was... I, I'd like to go on the record by saying we did not create the concept. Did we help make the solution? Absolutely. But the concept was not, uh, was certainly not originally ours. Um, yes, I think, I think the double skin mainsail is going to, is a thing to stay for a while. No question. No code zeros this time, no bow spritz, uh, cyclers, I guess that that's kind of the, you know, that that's the, that's the wine of the month. And, and it sounds like everybody's at least looking to go down that route. Uh, smaller crew, right, from eight, 11 to 8. These are kind of the big broad points that, that I've picked up. It, and by the way, that, that reduces the, crew, the overall boat weight by substantial amounts. I think they're trying to get these things to fly earlier, right? And I think there's a fair chunk, I've heard up to maybe even a ton, coming out of these boats and, and, and stuff. No winches for the jib anymore. Um, not as many grinders needed. You know, so they've made some substantial changes. And I, and if it, at the end of the day, it's a cost thing, of course. You try fewer crew, the fewer mouths to feed, the few salaries to pay, and everything else. But also get the boats to fly earlier. Make racing happen earlier. And as you and I know, probably better than anybody, there's nothing more painful than 
too little wind or too much wind and them putting that we're done for the day flag up. If there's a breath, man, I hope they sail. And if it's blowing 30, man, I hope they sail because the world needs to sail, see the extreme side of our sport because that's what's enticing. And these things have to show that off. So I, I hope they've really taken steps to allow these wind ranges to widen themselves. That, that's a, that to me is a key factor. Well, Kenny, I'm excited. And as ever, it's so good to hear your thoughts. I've missed you. All the very best from here in Cowes. Let's catch up soon. Take care, Cheryl. Thanks a lot for having me. Kenny Reid. Always great to have him on the podcast. Big thanks as ever to Kenny for being so generous with his time. Our final guest this month is a man that of late has a very behind-the-scenes role at Emirates Team New Zealand. He has, however, been an integral part of the team for several decades. Aside from multiple Whitbread campaigns, Kevin Shoebridge won the Cup with New Zealand in 1995, has multiple Cup campaigns to his name, and has been Chief Operating Officer at the team since a successful campaign in Bermuda in 2017. Having talked to Grant Dalton in part one regarding the mechanics of the decision to sail in Barcelona, we also wanted to hear the sailing team's perspective on defending the cup away from home. We talked to Kevin remotely from the team base in Auckland. Kevin, big announcement from the team's perspective. AC37 will be sailed in Barcelona. What's the immediate thoughts from the team's perspective on the venue announcement? Well, you know, from a team perspective, we're actually thrilled that we now have a date to work towards. You know, it's been a long process over the last year with all the venues and, and each of them having different dates and different requirements, um, which hasn't really allowed us to do a lot of our sort of detailed planning of how we're going to try and defend the Cup. So, A, you know, to have such a great venue such as Barcelona and B, to have a date now set for the match, which is October 24 that allows us to really sort of put a plan in place now and, and plot our next couple of years program to um, how we can be as strong as we can be. I sailed in the Barcelona Olympics back in 92. I was very young, obviously. Uh, and I have trained there a lot. I mean, I, I know there's, there's plenty of research ahead from the team's perspective, but what can we expect from the waters of Barcelona as a as a cup regatta venue? What's it going to be like? Like I, again, we you know we've got a lot of work to do there to really understand it. And and like you, Roger Batham or Clouds, our weather guy, he spent quite a few seasons there, so he's quite in tune with what goes on there. Um, you know, just from standing on the shore where I was a couple of weeks ago there and knowing where the race course is going to be, I think it's going to be an amazing spectacle right off the beach there um good good sea breezes good southwest sea breezes i think is what we have here which is sort of medium to strong at times the sea conditions will be a bit more of a challenge than we're used to here in auckland sailing inside islands you know we're out in the ocean a little bit there so that's going to be uh an added um factor that we've all got to deal with and we won't really know that till we go there and start zipping around in the boats but um like as a as a as a venue and as a uh, the the closeness of the the race course to the village and I think it's going to be amazing, really amazing. What did Cloud say about it? Give us give us his one liner about the venue. 
Uh, I just no. I, I think he thinks it's very good, very reliable. Because um, we're sailing at the end of summer, not at the start of summer. So, you know, reasonably um, good average sea breezes, probably around 13, 14, 15 knots. So I think that'll be great for these boats. Remembering we did the cup, I don't think during the match. I don't even know if we saw over ten knots, which was which was a shame because we never really saw the boats in full cry. You know, like we saw them being really efficient and sailing in nine knots of wind, but to see them in 15 to 20 knots, that's a different story. What about the plans for the team, Kevin? Can you shed any light at all on, on what may be ahead for the team and maybe a timeline on setting up in Barcelona? Well, we, you know, we've really never stopped, as always, since the defence in Auckland over a year ago. And we, we probably, as we sit here today, I'd say we've probably got... 70 or 80 people here um, and we've been keeping busy you know we've had quite a few little side projects on we've had the whole AC40 design and build program which has been quite time consuming and off to the side of that we've had the hydrogen uh, chase project which is going well we've also got the land speed project which is about to um, hit the ground in a couple of weeks for its first tow test so there's been lots of things going on um, we've got our boat yard still set up uh, helping build all these projects. So our timeline now is is get the first AC40 here, which is probably going to be sort of August, September this year, get that sea trialled. Um, and then we you know we have a sailing, our own sailing program, which will start here in Auckland um, this October. And uh, following that, you know, we're, we're obviously into the design of the AC75 pretty much straight away. A lot of work going on there. Um, as for Barcelona and what our program is there, we we'll, we'll be spending time there next year. Um, there's still quite a few things to sort out. We need to understand with the host the availability of the sites and the bases and, and how soon teams can move on to those. And that will sort of have a, a bearing of, of how much time and when we'll be there. Um, I've heard that a couple of the challenges would like to be based there full time. So that'd be great if that actually happens. Uh, and we'll be doing a bit of backwards and forwards. It's non-stop for Kevin Shoebridge, isn't it? Did they ever give you a break? No, it, it doesn't feel like that. Like we, I was talking, it was funny, we were talking about it yesterday. I, I said, you know, there's about a week after the match and you go, this is all great. And then it's really just straight back into it. It's that whole responsibility of having to, you know, organise the event and the team at the same time. And... And we're always conscious of that, that, that we were really conscious of it here in Auckland, that that doesn't become the overriding factor. Like we're, in the end, we're still just a sailing team that needs to try and be successful. So we've got to separate ourselves from all the other stuff um, and try and get on with, with what we need to do. But there is this inherent tie between the team and event that will never go away. Um, you know, the event needs direction from a sailing perspective. Not, it's not just a matter of putting up tents and setting up villages. There's the whole on-water management side and the race management and the rules and the protocol and everything else. So there will always be that, uh, you know, at least we've had experience now, so hopefully we'll um, manage to keep that under control. Well, as you say, you defended the cup in your own backyard just over a year ago now. You know, you'll now be the team competing furthest 
from home. How different an undertaking is it defending a cup, you know, so far away from, from home? Well, it'll be a, a new one for us to actually defend the cup away from home, but it won't be a new one for us operating away from home. You know, we've been a challenger of lot, a lot and in recent years in San Francisco and in Bermuda and in a lot of ways, personally, I think we'll end up being stronger. I just I just think the, you know, a lot of people talk about you giving away hometown advantage and blah, blah, blah. Well, it really, I don't think that exists anymore. And I certainly don't think it exists in these boats. Um, you know, it's not... It's not down to knowing about if there's half a knot more current there on the shore or, or, or that kind of stuff, not when you're zipping around at 45 knots. Um, I, think, I think we'll operate pretty well offshore. You know, you're away from distractions. It's much easier to keep the focus of a team away from home. And I, and I think if we're honest about it, I think we're at our best when we're in Bermuda. Um, you know, I think it was fine last time, but I just think, I just feel... You know, when you when you go somewhere for four months or five months, and all you do is go to the base and worry about um, you know getting faster and winning a yacht race, it just seems easier. Where at home, like everything, you've got all the all the other distractions of life that you can't get away from. Um, so I, you know, as I say, I think personally, I think it'll be good for us. I think it'll be be a nice way to do it. It felt though in Auckland that you could react pretty quickly to lots of things technically. I mean, you had resources and space and, and manpower. You know, how much of that is a concern? You know, are you going to have the same level of resources away from home? Well, to, they're not all going to be on site in Barcelona, but our boatyard, for example, will still keep running, which backs us up heavily. Um, you know, the fact is, by the time you go to Barcelona, you, your race boat is done. Your foils are designed. You know, it's you're really into, you know, learning how to race and and analysing and and trying to get better that way. So a big portion of the work is done. I don't I, it's a good point that you bring up, but I think we will still have that back up here. All right, let's hear a quick word on the challengers, Kevin. Four very strong teams shaping up. There's previous cup winners, the world's best sailing talent, design influences from Formula One. You'll only ever have to beat one of them, of course, but what are the team's thoughts on the challenger group? Well, and, you know, we, all, we seem to say this every um, cycle of the cup, that this is the strongest challenging group. You know, we've seen, but I, I genuinely think this is the strongest challenger in group we've seen. You know, there's a huge amount of experience that you've seen. Um, you know, you've got Luna Rossa, who put a, a, a great effort um, forward last time. Uh, ben Ainsley now backed up with Mercedes. You've got Alinghi, who know how to win, coming back in. And you've got Terry now, second time round. Um, learned a lot last time, I would imagine. So all going to be very good all funded, all up and running, um, it will be tough. Um, and it, the interesting one, you know, you, you bring up the Formula One thing, that's a whole other dimension that we've thought about, talked about hugely. Um, and, you know, we've been questioned a lot, well, why aren't you, know, why aren't you guys doing that if everyone else is doing that? And, um, I, you know, I, I, I can see how it works, that's for sure, and there's no question that those F1 teams are going to bring a lot of, horsepower and manpower to certain areas such as aerodynamics you know they're 
their ability to do complicated mechanical engineering and, and electronics is, is right down the street of these boats. Um, we're at, we're at our approach really slightly different. We're a more established design group now. I think the basis of this design group was really we put together in 2010 for the catamaran and, and from San Francisco. And although it's morphed and changed over the last 12 years, it's still basically that same core group. So I think we have a very good um, base that we're building from and, and Dan's constantly updating that team. We've got a lot of young guys, uh, a lot of experts that I can't even really explain what their job title is, um, but um, pretty impressive. So, you know, we're, we're happy with the route that we're taking. Um, but we're very wary, obviously, of the of the horsepower that some of these challenging teams have got behind them. Well, we'll see, won't we? We're into a second iteration of design on the AC-75, Kevin. As the team that built the fastest of the version 1 AC-75s, how much of a performance leap do you think we may see by the time the Cup gets underway? I mean, are there big gains to be made after the initial understandings of the concept made throughout the previous Cup? And I think, like again, like any other cup in the past or any other version of the rule, you always see massive change up front. And as the iterations go on, you know, we become closer and closer and we all get to the same point. We can't, we've already really had two or three versions, really. You know, we did our boat one. Uh, this is speaking about us. We did our, our test boat, which was almost a version two. And then we did Terahutai, which was our, our version three. So we're already quite a long way down that road. And... I think we will not see the gains that we saw last time or the speed differences that we saw last time. It would be almost impossible to think that. And it's going to be a lot more about detail and fine-tuning. And, and there is no silver bullet. I don't think anyone's going to kick it out of the park with, a, with an aerodynamic hull design that we haven't already seen. And I, I think everyone, all the teams last time, if you look closely at them, they all did something very well. And we were lucky enough to probably do more things well. But it's it's a hundred little things. You've, already, you've heard that, and but it's true. It's a hundred little things. It's not one big thing. And I think it'll be the team that can actually harness all those refinements that time, this time and bring it together will hopefully have a small edge. Um, but from the discussions we've had already, it's uh, it, it really is honing in and trying to ourselves as a team trying to figure out what areas that we really want to probe into and the areas that we really want to try and make gains from what we learned last time. Finally, Kevin, a quick word on personnel. You've assembled a very strong team, all the key faces from the last edition, but new additions too, notably in the afterguard. Talk us through the team makeup you've put together. Okay, you know, we we did a, um, after the last cup, and you win, it's very easy just to think that you've got this covered and, and you know what you're doing. So we um, we tried to be very critical on our performance and we did a very in-depth uh, review process that went on for a couple of months. And we tried to look at it uh, from a different view by saying, put yourself ahead now to 2024 and we've just lost. Like why, you know, why did that happen? And what, what didn't we do? And and, you know, I think from a sailing point of view, we've got a great group there and a very experienced group now, but we always think we can do better there. And 
our philosophy is the more good people you have, as long as you can harness them, you can't go wrong. So bringing Nathan in to join Pete and Blair and Josh and Andy and all the other guys that are already there, like it just seemed like a no-brainer to us. He's a great guy. He's got a lot of skill. Um, he's going to help us be better. And I think he's got a, you know, he's got the personality that he will, he's not confrontational, confrontational, he'll fit in well with the existing group. And, and that's already proven to be the case. Um, they're all out there on the sale GP circuit together. So we're really sort of getting a, a lot of good input coming from a lot of areas. But, you know, that for us, that, that goes the same. And the America's Cup, to me now, has become more of a team sport than it ever has been before. With, with so much behind the scenes going on, um, technology-wise, design-wise, how good your build team is, um, that that has really made it exciting for me personally, is that it, it's not just about, you know, eight guys on a boat um, anymore. It's, you know, a lot of that work's done right now by a group of people sitting out there that you'll never know the name of. And... Um, so we've tried to be stronger in all those areas and we'll have to be stronger in all those areas to be successful. I love that you had a debrief even after victory. I really love that. One thing I want to pick up on, though, is that you talk about bringing in new people as long as you can harness them. What do you mean by that? And maybe just describe that culture that you're trying to protect and nurture. Yeah, well, and I, I think that's always been one of our things here. We're, we're pretty flat, I guess you'd call it, is, is the way that we manage things. And I think ever since Valencia, I'm going back a bit now, but ever since Valencia, um, we realised that the way that the team was running in those days was, was there was too much of a hierarchy. There was, there was not enough people in the team taking responsibility for winning. And... Um, you know, we didn't win in Valencia, but we'd, we'd sort of recognised probably a year before that match that we don't do something and change something that the way we do something, we're going to lose by two minutes, not by two seconds. And that was really the start of how we operate today, of trying to, you know, harness the experience all over the team, whether it be the guy that's working in the machine shop talking to the designer to tell him that, yeah, you might be able to draw it that way, but I can't build it that way, is... is Kind of the way the place operates now, and and uh, if anyone comes in here thinking it's anything different than that, they sort of get straightened up pretty quickly. You know, like it's um, like it's a fantastic environment to work in, but I think it's a great environment because whether you're the guy on the shore crew, or the guy on the design team, you know, there's always an ability for you to have input. Uh, that, that might sound a bit cheesy, but it's it's kind of the it's kind of the way it is. Kevin Shoebridge, it's been great to chat. We're super excited about watching it all develop. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks very much. A team with an incredibly strong and well-developed culture who will be hard to beat wherever they defend the cup. Kevin and to Kenny and Ben, of course, a big, big thank you for your time. It may be two and a half years away, but time goes pretty quickly when you're trying to build a winning cup campaign. So to all our guests this month, a big thank you. 
There are currently two other teams in the Cup, of course. We did ask all the Cup teams on the podcast, and while Luna Rossa were struggling with time, Swiss team Malingi have said they're not doing any media until later in the year. Hopefully, we'll hear from both of them as the Cup draws closer. You know, we love to hear from you. So let me know what you think of the podcast. Like, review and subscribe on whatever platform you join us on. And if you enjoy what you hear on the podcast, buy us a coffee. It's easy to do. Buymeacoffee.com forward slash sailing podcast. Helping us bring you uninterrupted ad free chat. A big thanks to Tim at Vertical Films for all his work making the podcast happen. And of course, if you're into offshore sailing in any way, do head to the YouTube channel where we're about to start another series of films detailing my double-handed offshore season. Co-skippered with the amazing offshore legend, Dee Kafari. Keep in touch via social media. I'm Shirley Sale on Instagram and Twitter and Shirley Robertson on Facebook. Until next time. Thank you so much for listening. Have fun on the water and sail safe, everyone. This is Castle One. Race officer speaking. speaking. Oh, oh, is on boundary up ahead, 35 seconds out. A bit lower and faster here. Ho, ho, ho. That's a good one, Jimmy. Still gaining on the daylight now. We're looking at 10 42. Matching him on the boundary, yeah. Copy. This is Castle One standing by. Out.